Hey, everyone. Welcome to the GTM News Show. I got Graham here today. Hey, Graham. What's up, man? How we doing? Doing well, doing well. Thanks for coming on the show, uh, which I should really call the pod because the pod sounds sounds way cooler if I were to call it that. Like but, a video video pod. Like a yeah, pod. Totally. Yeah, <laughs> totally. <laughs> um, so yeah, I wanted to have Graham on. So he is an executive recruiter, specializes in the, the go-to-market space. And uh, we connected a while ago and I just, I, we've been, you know, sharing content on LinkedIn and, and uh, chatting back and forth there and notice he has not only uh, a lot of great ideas around recruiting, hiring, looking for your next gig, et cetera, but also just a good uh, grasp of the fundamentals of go to market. So I thought it'd be a cool to have him on to kind of talk through two parts. Number one, from the company side, um, you know, what are your strategies, how to find, attract the right talent? And then also from the talent side, as you're looking for your next gig, this has been a, a crazy year. If you've been following my own personal journey, I got laid off at the beginning of the year. Uh, lots of folks, especially in the B2B space, go-to-market space, marketing and sales um, have been laid off. So maybe we can talk a little bit about your thoughts on um, how to find your next per perfect gig. So uh, Graham, before we jump right in, I'd love for you to kind of just get us up to speed, right? It's... Um, it's November 2nd of uh, 2023. Tell me about what's your what's your grasp and feel on the market as a whole. Um, just general takeaways of as far as folks hiring and just folks getting the next gig. What, what's kind of your pulse on the market right now? Yeah, for sure. So I, I think, you know, the market's kind of been a little bit weird since, um, you know, the post-COVID boom, I would say, right? COVID came around, the world shut down. And then early on, kind of tech was leading the pack and, and had a bit of a tear until I would say around July of 2022. Um, that's when we saw the kind of what I, I call the valuation bubble, right? A lot of companies raised a boatload of mon money at like a 22x valuation. Um, and I think there might have been a bit of a realization that maybe a lot of that stuff was a bit aggressive. Uh, so since then, we've kind of seen a pullback, which has been unfolding over the past, I guess, year and a half now. Um, that's the bad news. The good news is uh, I would say the second half of this year, we've definitely seen a bit of an uptick in demand for our services, which I think might be a good indicator of what's going on in the overall market. Um, the interesting thing about this downturn or this, um, you know, economic headwinds, whatever you want to call it, is uh, jobs have not gotten easier to fill, right? So most of the time when you have an economic downturn, right, like there's more supply on the candidate side, jobs become a little bit easier to fill. And we're not really seeing that, which is, which is hmm. I think, unique to this one. Um, but also, I think it kind of lines up with macroeconomic stuff, right? Like unemployment's still low. So it's been unique. It's been interesting. Uh, there have been days where to be a recruiter, it's like kind of tough. But um, yeah, the second half of the year has been pretty good to us. So I, I think there's a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel. Very interesting. So that's fascinating. Just, I'd love for you to go a little bit deeper into why you think it's harder to fill roles with you know, the supply increasing. Any thoughts there before we jump into other topics? Yeah, I do have some thoughts. I, I think it has to do with like why companies have been laying off and why companies are trying to, I mean, 
a lot of this is about optics. A lot of this is about, you know, unrealized gains or losses, you know, markdowns on like VC portfolios, right? So founders are trying to pull an Elon, you know, cut some, uh, you know, in a lot of cases, cutting some headcount. They're trying to be looked at as like an astute operator, somebody who can control the balance sheet, extend runway. And then when they are going to hire, they're trying to be really selective, right? They're, they're being very selective, mm. actually, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. But it means that, you know, they're going to pick and choose the candidates that they want to hire, right? Um, so for somebody who's looking for work, you know, that can still be frustrating. Maybe there's enough jobs to apply for enough, you know, hiring managers to engage, but maybe you're not having the most luck. So I, I think that's probably part of the reason. Um, it's also binary to agree to, to a degree, right? Like there's a lot of companies that are still hiring and a lot of companies that are just really kind of, you know, a little bit in trouble, right? So, um, it's a bit of a mix. Fascinating. Well, that's interesting, especially with like an increase in, in supply when it comes from, uh, the company standpoint, it's, uh, yeah, that, that supply doesn't necessarily mean you have quality candidates or it's the right fit. Um, and in fact, all things being equal, if there was a huge demand a couple of years ago, I'm sure a lot of people were hired that weren't always the best fit, but that's the only option they had. So this, the, the surplus in the market could be folks that are not always qualified, but still need a job, um, you know, based upon the fact that, uh, you know, they got hired into a role in a desperate market versus a market where, uh, uh, yeah, they were they were qualified for, overqualified for. Super interesting. Um, let's kind of switch gears a little bit. I'd love to hear how you uh, think about building a high-performing go-to-market team um, and really, you know, f finding and attracting. Like, what do you look for? Just kind of a general topic. I'd uh, love to hear your thoughts there. Yeah, so I, I think uh, when it comes to hiring um, a high-performing go-to-market team, the first – it depends on the strategy, right? I think uh, – and, and we'll talk a little bit more about the different life cycles of a startup and a business and what might be important in those different stages. But, you know, the first thing you need to do is, you know, understand what your go-to-market strategy is, right? Um, and I think that's like 80% of the battle. For instance – and things – are changing. It's a moving target, right? What worked in 2021 and 2020 and 2019 isn't necessarily going to work today. So an example of like a recent trend that we're seeing is a lot of startups are starting to have some good success with investing really early in, in marketing, um, specifically mm. in like product marketing and content um, and have, you know, starting that flywheel up early um, and then hiring sellers into support that demand that they're capturing. Um, you know, if you listen to some of the heavyweights in the space and like the sales space, like uh, Sam Jacobs out of um, Pavilion, right? He talks about sort of the old model. It's kind of dead, right? So I think today, and it, it sort of pains me to say this because I am a recruiter, right? But I, I think the answer is less headcount, but the right headcount. Right. And a good example of, of that that I'll give you is you, you'd rather have, you know, five account execs that are completely swamped with opportunity versus 10 account executives, account executives that maybe are struggling to hit quota. Right. So I think that 
that all lines up with, you know, the economic pressures that we've gone through, um, you know, and these companies are just trying to do more with less. Uh, but I think to a degree, it's probably better uh, experience for the candidates that are hired too, right? If you're there, you know that there's enough demand for you to service. Uh, it's going to be a better experience as an employee. Hmm. Very cool. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. Thanks for starting out with, uh, you know, pivoting to hiring marketing first as a marketer, demand gen leader and consultant. I've, uh, I'm obviously biased, uh, and, and see the value in that. But even if folks have been listening to the show, we've talked about, you know, the, even a couple episodes ago, we talked about the predictable revenue model and how that, uh, you know, so many SaaS companies, so many B2B companies use that as a model to go to market, right? A very outbound sales led, uh, way of generating activity and that has become super saturated. So now folks are looking to, like you said, content, they're looking to partnerships They're looking to, um, you know, customer advocacy, paid media, community led growth, all these other strategies, uh, product led growth, right? All these other strategies to how to go to market and, uh, and get customers, um, still using a sales team. And then that even ties into your second point, which is how do you ever really, you know, uh, instead of, you know, having your sales team so focused on generating the demand, they're more focused on closing the demand and really high performers that can, once you've generated it through all these other forms, you have these amazing, you know, sales reps and sales uh, folks that, and AEs that can, they can close it, um, and focus less on, you know, them actually, you know, doing outbound, making cold calls, doing whatever, uh, not mm -hmm. that it doesn't have a place, but, uh, it's supplemented by, you know, marketing, doing, creating the demand a lot more versus, uh, it being done by sales. Super interesting. Um, thanks for sharing. I love kind of dived into you've, you already talked about it a little bit in regards to the different maturities, uh, levels of, you know, organization. So I love to hear kind of like what your thoughts are on, you know, obviously like seed stage series one, like zero to 1 million, um, or just getting started and then one to 10 and then beyond that, what are your thoughts on built, you know, growing your team? What do you see, uh, as best practices, um, mm -hmm. and different things people should avoid? Yeah. So, I mean, zero to 1 million, uh, you don't have product market fit, right? You're probably founder led sales. I, I think the first thing you need to get right is, um, lead gen, right? You know, I, I think in any business biz dev is the lifeblood of that business. If you don't have a machine built that will consistently bring engaged prospects to the table, you don't have a business, right? So right off the bat, right, you're talking biz dev, marketing, building an audience. Then if you get to this stage where, you know, you're ready to sort of get away from founder-led sales, I think the founding AE is a critical hire. You, you definitely want somebody who's entrepreneurial, somebody who's a killer, somebody who can kind of do it all. It's sort of a unicorn. And I think the other thing there that's really important is you need to look at their motivation as well, right? You need to have somebody who's also motivated by sort of tinkering and helping you sort of figured it out, mm -hmm. which might not directly lead to quota attainment, right? So I think getting creative with like comp structures in, in that type of role is, is, is probably a good idea too. Once you move past a million in sales, right? Let's just say you're one to 10 million in sales. You've probably gotten your first hint of product market fit. Uh, it's probably time to, I'd say probably around like maybe 2 million, maybe 3 million in sales. It's probably time to get ahead of sales in there to start to, you know, solidify 
and fine tune your go to market motion, sort of be the steward of that, you know, GTM playbook. Um, beyond 10 million, you know, into the 20 to 100 million range, I, I think it's sort of like pour gas on the fire time, right? Like triple down on what's working. You're probably already starting to look at new markets, whether that's going upstream or like vertical adjacent stuff. Um, so, I mean, every company, the other thing to note, like every company is a little bit different too, right? Every mm -hmm. company's got a different product, a different value prop, a different, you know, variation of how they're going to market. And I think um, the headcount that you need will be largely dictated by what that market and, and that motion supports. Very cool. That's super helpful. Yeah, I love that. And thanks for taking me through what you've seen and uh, definitely resonate, especially with a lot of the companies I work that are under 10 million um, focusing on, you know, first getting started, uh, you know, getting that demand growing lead gen business, business development, getting the, the opportunities coming in. And then, uh, and then also I really appreciate what you said as far as finding, like if it's an AE or a marketer or whatever, and creating a, uh, a unique comp structure to motivate them for the, if I'm hearing you correctly, motivate them for the success of the entire business, right? In some ways, right? Maybe that's equity. Maybe that's a bonus on hitting the overall revenue targets. Any, mm -hmm. any thoughts on that, especially for, for early stage companies? So I think that's so important where I see, for example, I'll see an early stage company, maybe they're under, you know, they're a couple million dollars in revenue and their enterprise motion, right? And so they go hire somebody that's worked for, um, you know, a fortune 500 company, a fortune 1000 company. Yeah. And there's this complete misalignment, right? Of first experience, the adaptability you need in a startup, in a small business that can wear multiple hats, that can be a marketer, a salesperson that can be customer success, be whatever it takes, right? To, to be successful. Um, yeah, any thoughts on any best practices you've seen? Number one on qualities, maybe dive a little bit deeper into the qualities of those early stage GTM folks. And then any additional thoughts on, on comp and, and yeah. how to incentivize those people? Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting topic, right? So like if, if I'm a seller or if I'm anybody in go-to-market, I'm coming to work for a startup that is zero to a million in revenue. I'm clearly risk on in general, like as a professional, right? I want to go take risk. I want to be a part of something. I want to be a builder, hopefully, right? If not, you're probably in the wrong place. Um, so I, I think just like it's cliche, but that entrepreneurial spirit, like getting excited about that stuff. Right. And, and one bit of advice I would give to, to founders and, you know, really early leaders at these early stage companies is like, be bluntly honest about all the warts, right? Like all the good, mm -hmm. the bad, and the ugly about the company, because people will self-select away from that. And that's a good thing, right? You want somebody to be like, oh, that's like, yeah, I don't want to do that right? Don't feel like you need to sell everybody to come work for you. Be mm -hmm. honest about who you are as a company and what you need done in that particular role and let people kind of self-select into that. So that's the first thing I would say about like the type of person that you need, right? Uh, in terms of compensation, right? You, you're, you're, you'd probably guess that a lot of these employees are going to get some sort of equity grant that they'll be excited about. We all know like the math, right? You know, the likelihood of that paying off is, you know, few and far between when it does, it can be awesome, but you know, they, they're going to want some equity. 
But when you talk about like sellers or marketers or like anyone specifically that's comped on like revenue, that's tied to revenue, um, a large portion of their job is going to be to kind of help you figure out the best way to do their job, right? So you're institutionalizing that knowledge of, hey, this is how X company does X function, right? That's more of like an operational thing. It's more of an exploratory thing. So I, I think if you're in a position as a startup to compensate them, you know, based on like those like soft skills or whatever you want to call it, maybe, you know, the, the first founding rep you hire isn't on a 50-50 split. Maybe they're on a 70-30 split or a 60-40 split or whatever it is. But I think that you need to bake in the time and the effort it's going to take and the value that they're going to bring by helping to institutionalize that sort of knowledge of how do we figure out how to do this, you know? Mm, fascinating. Thanks for sharing. And uh, kind of on your first point, as far as being super real, super transparent when it comes to um, just the what the obstacles you're up against, right? The challenge you're up against. I just got done reading The Splendid and the Vile. Uh, it's a World War II book, uh, the first kind of like couple years, kind of you're talking uh, following Churchill. Nice. Uh, I just, yeah, I'm kind of a little late to the game, but uh, it's a great book. And I think the biggest thing, the biggest thing I took away from Churchill was just his ability to be really frank about the challenges, right? And like, I think as humans, we we're immediately, you know, risk adverse, right? And like, we we don't, you know, we're immediately trying to find all of the the BS, right? The the filter, the BS of somebody. And I think I really appreciate about Churchill, and I see actually a lot of leaders doing this now. Uh, maybe replicating what he's done, or even you know, political leaders, or even in business, is you paint a really realistic picture of the negatives, right? You're just like, we're up against hell on earth, right, or whatever it is, um, and then, but then you also bring in the positive, right? So you you right, and and I think what's really cool is, and I've actually seen recruiters or even you know hiring leaders that I've worked for, they do that, right? They paint a really clear picture of what's going on, like don't hide anything, uh, because. First, you'll build that rapport with folks, number one. Um, you'll build that trust with them. And then, but then when you contrast it with the upside, right? You're like, hey, here's all the cool things we're doing. You have this perfect package where you providing transparency, providing the realness of what's going on. But then also here's all the cool, uh, you know, here's what here's here's the mission, right? Here's here's what here's what mission. we're gonna achieve, right? Mm -hmm. Um and, and super cool. That's, That's awesome. it. Like it's it's the mission, right? It's not about you know, it's the mission is really the essence of like, you know, that's what you want to be the main reason why somebody comes and works for you because they believe in the mission, right? It's going to be hard. It's going to be tough. We're up against the odds. Great. Let's do it. You know, if you can find that, you know, you're golden. So yeah, totally agree. Very cool. Thanks for sharing. Um, let's kind of switch gears a little bit and talk about kind of the search you know, how to find great candidates. You mentioned there's a large pool of great candidates or it's a large pool of candidates in general, but a lot of times organizations are still struggling to find the right candidates. So um, I'd love to hear your thoughts, like best practices, if they're, you know, to, to engage somebody like you, a recruiter outside, or, or if they have recruiters internal, or if they don't have any recruiters, what's your thoughts on how do you find the best candidates these days? Yeah, uh, for sure. First, I'll say um, everybody is a great candidate for the right job, right? I think there's an important distinction there. 
Everyone hmm. is just like there's plenty of fish in the sea. There's someone out there for there's a job out there for everybody. Right. So hmm. anyone could be super dangerous in the right role, but you just have to find the right person. And that person's hmm. just got to find the right job. So I'll start off by saying that in, in terms of, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, a hiring manager, I'm looking to expand on my team. I want to go out and, and hire somebody. I think the first thing you need to do is just get crystal clear on exactly what you need, right? Define exactly what you need. And we have an acronym that, uh, that helps with that. It's, it's called our FACT acronym, right? So FACT uh, stands for functional uh, achievement, customer set, and then technical or product set, right? And if you think about any job, right, you're going to have certain hard skills that you need this person to do and they can slot into one of those four, um, you know, buckets, right? Um, and I think, you know, it, it's really hard to find like the perfect candidate that's going to check every box. But I think the first thing you need to do as a hirer is decide which, where is the the real complexity lie in this job, right? Is it the functional stuff, right? By function, maybe it's like, I need somebody who's been a content marketer for a B2C company that like, you know, is in the food and Bev space, right? Maybe they need somebody that has that content marketing piece because they can't train up on that, right? Mm. Uh, the achievement stuff, that's a lot, a lot of times about like, you know, how to gauge, right? It's usually like one to three quantitative stats that prove that that person's good you know, at their job, right? In sales, it's pretty basic, right? You know, this person crushes quota every year for the past a thousand years, right? Um, customer set, right? Maybe that's something that is, you know, maybe that's where the complexity is. I'll give you a good example of, of that. We have a customer that sells a CRM, uh, a BI and analytics tool um, into the private equity space, right? If you know anything about private equity, highly sophisticated buyers, they have their own language, all types of acronyms and, you know, their business models are all unique. There's a lot of complexity there. People, you know, have MBAs, they're super smart, they use a lot of big words. You kind of have to know what you're doing to be able to sell to those people, right? To be able to mm. uh, effectively sort of synthesize a value proposition, it's really important to be able to know that customer, right? So maybe that for that particular client, they really need to leverage and lean in on the customer set piece. And then the technical or product set, that's something that's kind of near and dear to us. We do a lot of work in data, AI, machine learning, those types of companies the the, the product itself is so complex. The buyers are the data scientists and the machine learning engineers are so complex. Um, in order to get somebody into a customer facing role and to ramp them up to a point where they're going to be effective, that knowledge gap is excruciating, right? So they kind of really need somebody who understands the tech. So that FACT acronym is just a good way to kind of bucket out what you need and figure out what's most important, what maybe you'll compromise on and what maybe you can't, right? So there's that. Uh, the other thing I would say is, you know, the first thing you should do as a hiring manager is always hit your network, right? Keep your network alive. That's mm -hmm. just like best practices. I always advise people like go to your network, whether that's via LinkedIn, people you used to work with, whatever, you know, that's the first place you want to go. And then 
after that, you really need a recruiter's help, right? And I know it's a little biased because I am a recruiter, but even if it's somebody in-house, you need to be able to have a really strong working relationship with that person, strong open lines of communication. They need to be on the exact same page of exactly what you need. Um, and you need somebody with like a, at least a little bit of domain expertise so they understand what you're talking about and what you're looking for. Mm -hmm. So th that's, I would say, my best advice in terms of what you should do if you're going to, you know, going to market to hire somebody. Super cool. I love the, the fact, uh, acronym, the, the framework. Um, I'm curious, can you break out a little bit? So the function and the technical product set, there seem, there's probably some overlap there. I'm just curious, how do you separate those two? Or maybe <laughs> I'm not understanding it correctly. Um, cause the function sounds like it's, you know, have you done this job before in this space? Right. The technical is maybe a little bit deeper than that or yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, sure. So functional, you know, would be like, okay, we need a VP of sales, somebody who's been a sales leader, right? Um, the achievement is maybe we want somebody who's taken a company from one to 10 million in revenue would be a good example of that. The customer set, maybe they want somebody who sold into enterprise or specifically oil and gas. And then the technical or product set, we want somebody who knows you know, data science or has sold an ML ops platform before that would be a good example of like a technical or product. Set. Does that make sense? Got it. Yep. Totally. So kind of going a little bit deeper, it sounds like, or, or specific to the product, um, versus it being the role or maybe the industry kind of falls into the function side. Interesting. Out of those four buckets, I know you said you, it's hard to find always your perfect candidate and you might not be able to check all four of those boxes. Um, how much, yeah, first of all, how do you analyze how to prioritize? And then, you know, how important is it that that person has done the job at the previous company or done the specific, I mean, I know these are really probably really hard or really broad questions. And there's probably so much uniqueness for each industry. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, so I'm just curious your thoughts on like, how do you even evaluate? Because those things sound amazing, but how do I prioritize which one comes first or like a deal breaker, number one? And then number mm -hmm. two, um, where do you set kind of boundaries with that of like, you know, um, you know, is, is it something that they do internally or is it something a recruiter can kind of help you analyze of like, you know, it's really important you should have somebody that's done that from one to 10 or yeah. Any thoughts yeah. there? Yeah. So for sure. So um, each company is different, like you said, but uh, I think as a hiring manager, you need to figure out where the most complexity lies within those four buckets. So a good way to think about that is like, what do I just really not have time to train on? What's going to take too long to train, right? So like I said, like the data AI ML folks, they might really need somebody with that technical piece covered. So they don't have to worry about training them, them up. The company that sells into private equity they might really need to focus on finding somebody who has experience selling into that same customer cohort, right? It really depends on where the most complexity is, what is going to take the longest to train up. And that's how I, I think you tell, hey, this is really important and non-negotiable. Maybe we can give on some of these other things. Um, so I think that was, I think that was your question. I think. Yeah, that's super helpful. Yeah, no, I love that. Where does the complexity lie? And I think that is a great question to ask and to analyze like where, where is going to be that sticking point where, I mean, there's like general skill sets, there's general requirements, but um, when it comes down to it, where, yeah, what part, and that could be the, 
you know, the size of company, right? Or it could be like a very generic role in some ways or not have a, you know, a generic product, but not have, but be a very specific, you know, size company that you need. Like, hey, I need somebody that's gone from a hundred million to a billion, right? Like I need, that could be the complexity. Um, or it could be the actual product, like you mentioned, right? Like if it's an ML or an AI product where you're like, or, you know, the private equity, like you said earlier, uh, if you have never marketed or sold into that vertical or, or industry, um, you probably, you know, uh, you know, would be, be a very high risk to take somebody that's never done that and put them in there. Super interesting. Um, yeah, potentially. Yeah. And I also, like you said at the very beginning too, where, where, you know, there's a role for everyone. Um, and what I, maybe in that question, where have you been most surprised? Like when folks that you're like, Oh my gosh, like this person, you know, maybe, uh, didn't necessarily fit the standard, but they end up being a great hire. Like where, where should you, where's that room for like, you know, being surprised, maybe culture fit, or maybe it's, um, yeah. they're super hungry. They're super eager. Uh, mm. they're just, yeah. Any thoughts there? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. Um, I don't know if I can point my finger to any particular one of those segments where it's like, Oh, Hey, like this maybe doesn't count as much. The one thing I would say is, you know, I think it's important for candidates to understand the, the seat that, you know, employers are in, in the sense that, you know, they're making really important decisions with relatively small data sets, right? Maybe throughout an interview process, you spend, I don't know, three, four hours with a company, and then they need to go and make a decision on how much output they're going to get out of like 40 hours a week for the next X many years. You know, it, it's a, mm. it's a big decision, right? It's, it costs mm. money, right? So I, I think what they try to do is de-risk that decision as much as possible. And the way they do that is by trying to find somebody who's done as close to that exact job as humanly possible and had success. That being said, we all know there's a ton of other factors at play that make somebody successful in a role or not. The problem is you can't really test for a lot of that stuff, right? Does mm. a person have gumption? Is a person, right, you know, friendly in the office, right? A lot of that stuff is really hard to tell through an interview process. What mm. I would say is, mm. you know, if you can figure out if somebody has like get up and go, as cliche as it sounds, if they have gumption, if mm. they're really good about following up, if they're you know, magnetized to your mission, right? That's where it comes back to the motivators and they're just a generally competent person. People will mm. figure stuff out, right? We've mm. made placements that, you know, were completely out of left field with some of our best clients, but because of who that person is as a person, not on their mm. resume, um, mm. they just went in and crushed, right? So, mm. but again, going back to the the seat that employers are in, it's really hard to test for a lot of that stuff. So yeah. they need to do what they can to say, Hey, I'm making a good decision. They need to be able to go to their board and be like, Hey, you know, this was a really good decision on paper, even though it didn't work out. Right. I, I sort of did the right thing. Right. So, you know, I think it's just important for candidates to understand the seat that employers are in, why they do what they do, why they make certain yeah. decisions. And if you look at it from that point of view, it kind of makes sense, you know? 
Yeah, well said, Graham. That's super helpful. And it's like almost like you're obviously you're de-risking the hiring process and the, the intangibles. They're hard to quantify, like you mentioned, right? And the tangible things, what's on your resume or what your experience is, may not be a, uh, a, a complete indicator of success. It will give you some rational right boundaries to be like and i like your fact i think that's a perfect like here's your rational like okay um you know this person you know uh you know all things you know considered they they've you know are, are most likely to be successful in the role and you know i kind of compliment that i've um patrick lynchoni uh i forget what his book is called um he has a bunch of books, but one of his books is on on hiring, and he talks about um, or building an idea. It's, I think building your ideal team, um, and uh, he has a, a, a kind of a framework um, where he talks about humble, hungry, and smart, and uh, and he talks about being humble, right? That's obvious. Being willing to adapt, being um, hungry, you're willing to grow and take on the challenge, and willing, ambitious, and uh, and whatnot. And then the smart part is uh, people smart, and and mostly it's about um, you know being having emotional intelligence, and not so much <laughs> intelligent, and not so much uh, intellectual side, but more emotional intelligence. And yeah. those are the non tangibles, which I think can complement um, and things you want to look for for sure, and that come you know quote unquote culture fit, but also uh, to de risk you know to your point, I think uh, to have that baseline of like you know that that fact framework, which is super cool. Um, yeah, I'll just yeah, add to there. that. So, like, I think we can all agree as human beings that those intangible things are really the most important things. The problem is, is mm. again, they're hard to test for. And if you're going to design a search to go find the right marketer, you can't say, okay, let's look at all the people in North America that have really high EQ, right? Mm. You, you're you're lost. You know, you need, you need some sort of compass. The other thing I would say is as you progress in your career as a leader, as a, a hire and a manager of people, you will start to fine tune your gut instincts, right? And those gut instincts on all that intangible stuff that will really make or break you when it comes to hiring, right? You need to mm. learn what to look for in those hires. And I think that just comes with reps over time, you know? Mm. Well said. I love that. Super helpful. Yeah. And, and having that, uh, that gut feeling and, and making sure you don't discount that because I think that kind of ties into the intangibles and that connection, the, the cultural fit, whatever, whatever that means, uh, all the things we're talking about, right. The things that are hard to quantify. Um, super cool. I love to hear just if you have any thoughts on like best, you know, good questions to ask, you know, as a hiring manager, um, you know, what are your, especially, I mean, obviously there's the, there's the fact, which is the tangible things, but fact or in uh, non-tangible, what are your thoughts on like good questions to kind of dig deeper, get to know somebody, uh, in the short time you have? That's a, that's a good question. I think it's really dependent on the role. Um, so I don't know if I have a perfect answer for you. However, what I would say is the, the interviews that we've seen, be really effective and highlighting the right people for the job, they kind of go like this, right? They start with a meet and greet type thing, high level, get to know you, ask a couple of high level questions about the background, share a little information about what we're trying to accomplish here at this company. From there, 
you know, the midsection of the interview becomes sort of a dual way discovery process, if you will. The company is learning more about that professional, that professional is learning more about the company. And then towards the end of the process, once both parties have collected information, there is an aspect of collaboration, right? Whether that mm. is, I hate to say, and I know candidates are going to hate to hear this, but like some sort of like project or presentation or even it doesn't have to be that. It could just be a conversation, but starting to diagnose some of the pains that that company is experiencing specific to that role, that function, mm -hmm. and then making some recommendations. So kind of like you start jamming a little bit towards the mm -hmm. end of the process and you get a little sneak preview of what it will be like to work with that person. You know, so I, I think those types of interview processes, whether it's at the executive level or at the frontline level, tend to be really good indicators and like, you know, they're, they're able to kind of show you, Hey, this is what it's going to be like coming to work with this person every day. So we've seen that, uh, we've, we've seen that work pretty well. Mm, I love that. That's super cool. And I think there's, uh, yeah, it's definitely more work for the the interviewee and, and whatnot, but there's also, um, yeah, you get to, you get a feel and you get, it's probably a good litmus test for them too, to see how the person re responds to, their project yeah. and it's yeah on both ends it's a really good way to kind of a, a working uh session in a, in a way um to, to get your feel and uh super cool before we kind of transition from to the uh the employee side um i'd love to hear any other takeaways any other high level like best practices that come to mind things we haven't talked today about you know hiring managers and folks going to you know finding go-to-market folks on for their team the only other thing I would say, right, and again, this is a little bit bias, right, because I am a recruiter, but I think you need to know, you know, what makes a good recruiter, right, and how do you find one? I think these agency partnerships are really, really pivotal and important, especially if you find good ones. Um, they can really change the trajectory of your career, both on the candidate side, but also, you know, as a hiring manager. And I think there's, there's a couple things that you need to look for, Right. The first is you want somebody who has domain experience in your space. They need to be able to talk the talk, right? They need to know, you know, the different players in the market. They need to know where the bodies are buried. They need to know the lingo, you know. Um, so domain experience, I think, is really, really critical. And then the second thing is you got to find trust, right? And again, this goes back to those mm -hmm. intangible things that can be tough to test over a short period of time, but are proven mm -hmm. over the long run. But if you can find somebody that will give you good advice, even if it means that they might lose money because of the advice, then I think, mm -hmm. I think you hit the jackpot, right? Stay close to that individual, stay close to that agency. They will serve you very well for the long run. So that's the only advice I can give you there. Oh, super cool. I love that. And maybe we can tie that into uh, the employee side of finding a good agency um, so what I heard was somebody that's domain experience, right. In your space. And I think even with globalization, I've talked about this a couple of times on my show, like there's so many different ways to solve a problem. And so we're going down to this, like, um, nitification or vertical everything, right. Where you're like, Hey, you have so many options. So it's like, why not choose the SaaS platform? Why not choose the agency? Why not choose the employee that's done exact worked in this exact same field, um, because there's options for that now. And it's, uh, I think from a business standpoint, that's, you know, a, a way for folks to differentiate themselves is like be experts in that one area. Yeah. Uh, but then on the flip side, 
um, hiring, you know, whether it's your employee or partnering with a, with a search team, an agency, recruiting agency to, uh, to make sure they're, they're experts in that field because you can't, cause they're out there. Right. And, and why not find somebody that's a, an expert in that space and knows all the, the nuances. Cause it's like, yeah, it's all those little details, right. And anything like w whether it's a specific industry you've worked in, like as a marketer, it's like, you know, if I'm marketing to different folks, it's like, oh my gosh, the nitty gritty it's, it's, it makes or breaks your entire campaign. It makes and breaks your entire go to market. If you don't really understand your, you know, your buyer and, and your market. So mm -hmm. super mm -hmm. cool. I love to tie that into on the search side from a, an employee standpoint, um, kind of diving, spending a couple minutes in there before we wrap up here. Love to hear your thoughts on, you know, best practices for, uh, for folks looking for their next role. Is it, you know, maybe you mentioned one already, which is finding an agency that is in your vertical or in your space. Um, any other thoughts you have on, on best practices for folks finding their next role? Absolutely. So you, you remember that FACT acronym I gave you, right, for employers trying to find the right types of employees. That same acronym works for employees trying to find mm. new gigs, right? So mm. you just reverse engineer that, right? So mm. I think about finding a new job, and this is great because your whole audience is all go-to-market people, so they're going to love this, right? Finding a new job is just like going to market with a product, right? Because it is. In this case, you're the product, right? So the first thing you need to do if you're going to market with a new product is find your ICP, right? Your ideal customer profile. I like to call it the IEP, ideal employer profile, right? Mm. So how do you do that, right? You use that FACT acronym, right? To figure out who you are as a professional, and then you reverse engineer that into, okay, what are the companies, who are the people at those companies that are going to be most likely excited to hear from me, right? So you need to define exactly who your target audience is, right? Maybe that is a certain sector. Maybe it's a certain company size. Maybe it's a certain hiring manager of a certain type of department. Maybe it's a certain uh, geographic location. And once you have that, the, the second thing I would say and people probably aren't going to love this, but you kind of got to go outbound, right? It, it's work. It takes some time. But if you look at what's going on in today, 2023, if any company posts a job, right? Like if you go on LinkedIn right now and look at job postings, you know, the job posting has been up for a week. There's 260 people who have applied, right? There's so much noise. It's such a crowded channel. So it's really hard to break through and actually get a real shot at having a connection with that hiring manager and being considered. So what we've seen work is people actually going outbound with their product, which is them. So, you know, building a list of target companies, building a list of target hiring managers at those companies and engaging with them, you know, through LinkedIn is phenomenal for this, right? Obviously. So, you know, doing something as simple as hitting them with a super soft CTA, you know, you know, low friction. You don't want to be like, Hey, can you hire me? Hey, can I have an interview that, you know, no one loves that. You want to give them the chance to say no without feeling awkward because you still want to, you know, engage in a dialogue, but something as simple as, Hey, you know, been following your company for a while. seems like you guys are doing some awesome stuff. I'm sort of quietly looking for my next gig. If, and when time is right, would love to chat. We've seen that work a lot. The other thing, and, um, you know, the other thing I would say is like, you want to 
try and add value where you can, right? Let's just say you have some specialized niche knowledge um, and based on your research, you can probably make a good guess that that company is going through a challenge that you've already been through. If you can lead with like, hey, you know, we, you know, I've been following your company. I see you guys are probably doing X, Y, Z, which means you're probably in this situation. We've been through that before. We'd love to hop on and tell you a little bit about how we've, you know, sort of like seen around that corner or whatever. We found that to work out as well. So yeah, find out who you want to target, go reach out to them. You can apply for the job, always apply for the job, but actually go and reach out to that person whether it's an email, a cold call, you know, a, a LinkedIn DM. And then, of course, you want a few people like me in your corner that you can trust, recruiters that you know play in your space, um, that can be an extra set of eyes and ears, you know, on the market for you. Ah, super cool. Uh, that's awesome. I love those. I mean, I love how you kind of flip the ICP and the ideal employer profile um, as a you know marketer, go to market leader, I've definitely obviously resonate with that and in reverse engineering it. And um, I think go to market folks have like no excuse uh, to to, fig to have a really solid uh, you know outreach and building relationships, networking, marketing themselves. Um, obviously, you know it's it's like a lot of marketing agencies they actually aren't really great at marketing themselves because they're spending so much time doing marketing i can see that being the, the case for a lot of go to market leaders yeah. like hey we're so much time you know, working in my job i have a hard time you know totally and uh, i love that and i love uh, a couple of different things i took notes here first adding value when you can right if you notice something um and that's as good like go to market in general like how do you provide value whether it's you know sharing interesting podcasts whether it's you notice something on their website uh, a strategy they may want to think about implementing, um, you know, whatever it may be, you know, something on their LinkedIn and, and pointing that out, providing value uh, versus just asking and going in with a very selfish, you know, self-promoting uh, angle. And I like that uh, soft CTA is when the time is right. Um, super cool, like just kind of open-ended, not pushy, um, especially if you're trying to build relationships in advance, right? They're not hiring. It's a great way to be like, you know, just kind of getting your feelers out there and, and, um, yeah, it just seems really empathetic and, you know, putting the other, you know, putting yourselves in the other people's shoes. And then lastly, having recruiters in your space that you can leverage, build relationships, even, you know, network, but then also get introductions and also best practices too. I'm sure every recruiter, like even this conversation, I've learned so much. I've always like every recruiter I've ever talked to, I'm always like, Oh, that's fascinating. I didn't learn that. Or, you know, they always have a different angle perspective so you can learn so much from recruiters or even folks in hr um that do this internal recruiters too um you can learn so much from so you know leveraging their expertise super cool any other best practices or thoughts that, that come to mind from the employee side from the employee side so um well just going back to that that same you know let's just say you do a touch point with a, a hiring manager on linkedin and you hit them with that soft cta and let's just say, you know, what, what's the first thing that they're going to do, right? They're going to look at your LinkedIn profile. That's like, you know, that's exactly what you wanted to begin with. What's the point of applying to a job with your resumes to just have somebody look at your profile, right? But it's not happening because, you know, mm -hmm. there's so many applications that those companies just have bots sifting through the resumes. So the hiring manager is not looking at your resume to begin with, right? But if you directly reach out to them, you know, even if they don't respond, they're going to glance at your profile and that is a look, right? So that's a win there. Uh, the only other thing I would say, right, if you're looking for a new job, um, 
sometimes you already have a job, but maybe it sucks or it's not that great or it could be better. Other times you don't have a job and you're looking for a job. The, the, the one thing I would leave, um, you know, people with that are looking for a new job is you need to make sure that you're protecting your emotional state, right? I think that's super, super important. You know, in 2023, our society, it's really easy to like tie your identity to what you do, but what you do is not who you are, right? And if you're unemployed right now, or if you're like struggling to find a new gig and your current job sucks and you're not getting calls back, you know, on the gruntled, like I said, there is a perfect job out there for everybody. And if you let that kind of like attack your identity of and, and your self, you know, worth, that's going to come off the next time that you go and interview, right? So you need to make sure that you're protecting, you know, your emotional state and just know that sometimes you got to put in the work, you got to put in the numbers, you got to get a certain amount of shots on goal. Eventually one's going to drop in the net and it's going to happen. You just got to put in the work, put in the time, stay positive and you're going to win. And that's, that would be the last sort of like leaving, you know, if you take anything from this type thing, take that. Oh, that's awesome, Graham. Thanks for sharing. That's encouraging for me in general. I think it's good life advice and uh, to be hopeful. You know, the world is abundant. There's lots of opportunities out there. And even mm -hmm. what you said earlier at the beginning of our conversation that there is a role for everyone, right? And just because the one you're going after, um, you know, isn't the right one doesn't mean you should be discouraged and uh, keep keep pressing forward, keep looking um, and you, you, it's a numbers game in a lot of ways too, right? You, there's only, there's so much competition. There's, you, you have to get a certain amount of, uh, you know, um, swings, you know, to be able to actually, uh, get that home run. So super cool. Great advice, Graham. Thanks so much for coming on. How can folks connect with you online? Well, being a recruiter, of course, I'm a LinkedIn junkie. So, you know, I post some cool stuff I'd like to think from time to time. So you can check me out there. It's just Graham Locklear. You can look me up. Um, our website is msearchco.com. If you're hiring in GTM, you need some help, hit me up. We'd love to uh, chat. And uh, yeah, that's the best way to find me. Awesome, Graham. Thanks again for coming on. I'll definitely put all those links in the show notes. Um, really great conversation. I learned a lot. I'm sure the audience will as well. And uh, yeah, thanks everyone for listening. And we'll see everyone next week. Thanks, thanks Todd. Graham. All right.